Hey there! Did you know Kroger always gives you savings and rewards on top of our lower than low prices? And when you download the Kroger app, you'll enjoy over $500 in savings every week with digital coupons. And don't forget fuel points to help you save up to $1 per gallon at the pump. Want to save even more? With a Boost membership, you'll get double fuel points and free delivery. So shop and save big at Kroger today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Chiromo Hospital Group Live. We do this every Thursday, and this is done with the purpose of creating awareness on mental health, matters mental health. Today, we'll be discussing um, epilepsy and uh, mental health. And uh, on the panel with me, I have Sylvia Mora Machabo, I have Grace Gashanja, and I have Sharon Bogwa. I'll let them introduce themselves, and then we proceed. Hi, th- hi, thanks, Tiffany. My name, as mentioned, is Sylvia Morano Chabo. I am a parent to two children, three children, two of whom are on the autism spectrum uh, with a comorbid of epilepsy or convulsive disorder. I'm the founder of Andy Speaks for Special Needs Persons, where we champion for inclusion of persons with neurodevelopmental disabilities, for inclusion in matters health, education, and social protection. And on top of that, I am the CEO for Tech Hub Holdings Limited, where we do PR branding and prints. And you're currently reigning Miss Africa Elite 2020-2021, Miss Africa United Nation 2020-2021, and Elite Face of Africa Same 2020-2021. I'm a Rotarian for the Rotary Club of Modaiga and currently the Assistant Rotary Public Image Coordinator for Africa Zone 22. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, thank you. Grace, you can introduce yourself. Uh, thank you, Tiffany, and thank you for having me today. Um, it's indeed a pleasure to be with you. My name is Grace Gashandra. I am a psychologist here at Chiroma Hospital Group and also the Wellness in Church, um, a very passionate mental health champion and mental health advocate, and very pleased to be engaging in this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. So I can see Sharon has just left, but uh, we proceed all in all. So uh, when we hear the term epilepsy, uh, what comes to mind? What is your definition of epilepsy? Sylvia, let's start with you and maybe assume that order as we go on. Okay, thank you very much for the question. So epilepsy to me is a disorder defined by recurrent and provoked seizures. And the seizures are disruptions in the electrical pulse patterns of the brain, which is mostly caused by brain cells moving simultaneously at a faster than normal rate. And uh, it can be seen physically by different body movements that can come with stiffness, rolling back of the eye, either full body stiffness or uh, jacking of the body partially or wholly depending on the intensity of the seizure. Right. Grace, what are your views? Um, I think uh, Sylvia has described what epilepsy is uh, quite well, but I'd just like to add on to the fact that one of the main, some of just about a few of the causes of epilepsy include maybe head trauma. Um, we do have people who've experienced or start experiencing from um, epilepsy as a result of trauma to the head, maybe through an accident or a heart fall. 
Um, often in the mental health field, we do see them in people who are withdrawing from alcohol. Um, sometimes they're not even triggered by any accident or incident that happened, but in such cases, maybe it's just genetic and they start off from childhood. And those are just but a few of these causes that we have for the epilepsy presence. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to, to maybe break it down for, for people who might not um, understand epilepsy um in layman's so i like to put people in perspective so we have uh, we we normally in your offices you normally have the the files the cabinet files so for instance you when when you open the cabinet the the file cabinet and then you throw the files up all the files up that's and then you take the files and put them back in the right cabinet i think that's that that is what happens when when someone has a seizure an epileptic seizure it's like everything goes haywire and then they they come back again so i'd, I'd like to use that term as a, as a, a, that description to describe epilepsy or an epileptic seizure it's the same way uh, maybe um, a computer can have a virus and that virus can trigger um, maybe a malfunction in the computer. So um, I like I have been reading stuff about epilepsy this week, and uh, I, ha I have seen people trying to make it simpler to understand epilepsy, and they've given those two as an example. So um, as we go on, I'd uh, really like Sharon to to take us through some things here, but. Uh, because she's not here, Gigi, um, since we are talking about uh, mental health and epilepsy, do you think that uh, there could be a possibility that people living with mental illnesses are at a higher risk of um, developing epilepsy? Do you think it's possible? That's a very good question. Um, I'm not sure how, how to approach it, um, but I'll use one of the most common uh, cases where we do find someone with a mental health problem developing epilepsy. Um, earlier on, I mentioned that one of the causes of epilepsy or one of the causes of epileptic seizures is actually alcohol abuse, yeah? Mm -hmm. And what happens uh, of more often than not is that when someone um, has been taking alcohol excessively and then they're withdrawing from alcohol, they tend to get those epileptic seizures or what that now, the way you described it, um, their brain cells become all haywire and then they get back, they get back to being normal. In, in alcohol, they call them rampants, yeah? So in such situations, especially people who have gotten uh, epileptic seizures or those rampants quite often um, someone can actually de develop because of uh, maybe those hard falls that they may experience at one point or another they may experience um, epileptic seizures in the long run but what often happens actually is that uh, as a result of epilepsy some people do tend to develop mental health issues so often we see epilepsy leading to mental health issues as compared to mental health issues of mental health disorders leading to epilepsy. Okay, thank you for that. 
Uh, Sharon, are you with us? Yes, yes. Um, thank you. Thank Zoom, you Zoom has back. allowed me to get back in. Yeah, it's um, okay. Yeah. So, but we had just uh, started uh, by defining epilepsy. Maybe you could give us um, your definition of epilepsy as a person with lived experience. Right. So, um, epilepsy for me is simply multiple unexplained seizures. So, if you have one, then you're not necessarily, you know, you don't necessarily have uh, epilepsy, it's probably a one-off seizure. But if you have several and several over time, then that qualifies as epilepsy. And it's basically um, where you have neurons, neurons cross-firing in the brain. Um, and so, yes, at the end of the day, that is what uh, epilepsy is. Okay. Yeah. So Thank you for that. Uh, we had uh, just uh, spoken about uh, the possibility of um, of uh, someone with uh, someone living with mental illness being at a higher risk of uh, developing epilepsy, and uh, Grace took us through that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, something I'd like you to to make us understand mm -hmm. is uh, in the in the in the spirit of uh, epilepsy awareness. Mm -hmm. um, could you? like briefly take us through reality of uh, living with epilepsy in Kenya? Hmm. Um, well, I'll give my perspective and then I will give sort of some general views uh, or points of view that I, I believe um, cover for a lot of us in the country. Um, so in my, in my view, it's, um, it's ended up being a lifestyle adaptation. And I say that because um, I think we lost Sharon again. Um, it's okay. So Sylvia, I'd like her to throw you under the basket doggo and uh, ask you about um, as a caregiver, not necessarily directly uh, for uh, a child with epilepsy, but with autism. What is the reality of uh, um, your, your children? What is, what is the reality of them living with a rare condition or the non-communicable disease? which is autism in this case. What is the reality in Kenya? What is it like in Kenya? Even as a caregiver. Okay, uh, you don't mute for a minute, but I think I get the gist of the question. The reality on the ground, especially with autism. First, uh, it is something that finds you as a caregiver unprepared for because some of these things is things we learned in textbooks, but you never actually experience. You've not experienced it. You don't know how to handle it because it was in class six, I think, when we were learning this thing. So now this is real life 20 plus years later. And I can recall very well the first time it happened, my child was only three months, but then it started slowly. And uh, according to the description we mentioned, remember you can have the convulsions first before it can actually be categorized as epilepsy. 
Um, so the very first time was quite tough because you look at your child, they're there, they're shaking, their eyes have rolled back, they're almost lifeless, and then there is always the sound that comes with it, and you have no idea what to do. And remember, um, depending on what point in life that the convulsions and epilepsy checks in, because we've also seen other caregivers and parents who um, epilepsy starts coming at the teenage yeah, because of the changes in hormones. Your autistic child has been okay, but now you're hitting teenage, then now they're starting to become epileptic. Or we have seen increase now, like in the weather, the way now it was sunny, now it's cold, then there is increased now convulsions. So these are all things that come and they're thrown at you and they're new. First of all, it finds you unprepared. And for us, with, uh, with living with it as a comorbid to uh, other disabilities or other conditions, we find it is very hard to actually accept and embrace it and to get used to it because every time a conversion comes, it's all different and it's all new and it takes you to that pain level that as much as you would want to embrace and say it is okay, it never feels okay. Because as a parent, I cannot genuinely understand what my son is going through at that time, right? All I see is what, what I see from his body reaction. On top of the body reaction, there is the fatigue that comes after that. And the sad reality is when he was younger than then, we got the full-blown conversions. My son forgot all the milestones he had achieved. So for me, the conversions came as something that was robbing life and, and, and progress out of my child. And it's one thing that uh, we wish away, but you know that it's not that easy. And then getting used to giving them medication every day and it's, it's just not easy at all having to deal with the, complica the complications of now the autism side of it plus the comorbidity of epilepsy. It, it can really, really take a toll on you both mentally, physically, economically, name it. Yeah, and even socially because you're always afraid of leaving your child. When will it happen? Will people know how to take care of him? Will he fall safely? Will he, you know, there is all, I can't even sleep well because all the attacks come in the morning. So from 4 a.m. you are like a half light sleeper. Uh, you have to listen very keenly even if someone moves a bit you here because you see it just happens. And the one thing that you're afraid of is you don't catch it in time and then it runs for so long that it damages your child. So those are the fears and some of the experiences that it is wow. realities as a caregiver. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they say that special needs parents uh, are like superheroes. They're like Captain America, they're like Batman. I like <laughs> to think that's true. Um, Grace, uh, would you like to give your thoughts on, on the reality of people living with epilepsy in Kenya? Well, I'm hearing Sylvia speak and um, I'm just imagining just how much of a lot of work it is to just completely dedicate your life to your children like she has. And at the same time, I'm also thinking of a relative of mine who um, their child with epilepsy is now an adult, mm -hmm. um, but somewhere when he was much younger, when he was in primary school, the seizures used to come in so uncontrolled and though he was on medication, it actually affected his self-esteem to a point where he dropped out of school and couldn't go to school. At one point, he had a seizure in the middle of the night and he fell off bed and that led to an elongated hospital stay. And so now he is um, in his 30s, 
but stays at home all day. He has, he's a twin actually, but the brother now is 100% his caregiver. So a lot of the family has actually dedicated their life to helping this person and supporting this person. But at the same time, I also know yet another family where um, the person living with epilepsy was able to have quite a fruitful life, able to go to work, manage the seizures quite well. So I think um, everyone's experience is different and, and the challenges that they go through is quite different. But what I'm also hearing is that there is hope and it's actually possible to do quite well and to be supported, have the right support system around you and deal with all the challenges that I'm going, that you're going through. So um, what I'm saying is big up to Sylvia and all the mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers to people living with epilepsy and being able mm -hmm. to assist them and be present for them unconditionally, irrespective of just the strain that it actually puts on them. Okay. Thank you. So in the in the in the same in the same spirit uh, of uh, talking about caregiving and uh, individuals, um, maybe we can start with you, Grace. Uh, what do you think are the mental health impact on uh, individuals who are living with epilepsy and even on their caregivers? What do you think they go through that may um force them to 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 have mental health implications or mental health challenges um the challenge with being a caregiver and this one happens not just to parents or caregivers of people living with epilepsy but even any other um long-term chronic condition that we're experiencing is that there's always that aspect where um you're living your life and then you have this child uh, there's the aspect of the expectations. I think every mother, when they're expectant, they have these dreams, these ambitions that the child is going to be able to achieve. And then you give birth to your child and somewhere along um, the, the road, somewhere along the path that you thought their child is going to walk at this age, um, go out, have fun, maybe learn to ride a bike, uh, be independent, go to school, make friends, and then mm -hmm. something happens. Something that is un completely uncontrollable, completely unpredictable because they're saying one of the causes of epilepsy is genetic and you can't really tell that this is going to happen and at what point it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So what happens is that um, what we have seen happen, and I think a lot of moms can actually relate to this, is that there's that complete sense of loss because um, what your expectations were, the things that you thought would happen, now you have to re literally recalibrate your life and recalibrate um, the expectations that you had of this child, of the life that you actually dreamed and prayed for your child to be able to achieve. And one, there's that sense of loss that is consistent and persistent throughout. And then in addition to that, there's that aspect where you're pouring consistently into this child. Um, if it's social engagements, if it's play dates, if it's leaving your, your child with a help, then you have to be a lot more cautious of all these things. That is right. if you're even able to do that, you were able to get help that understands that this is epilepsy, that this person needs to take meds at this time, that you need to be overly cautious of all these things to avoid. Um, how best do you handle um, when someone gets, when your next of kin gets a seizure? And this is not just in childhood, but also in adulthood. And then bringing up this child in a way where there are, they get to a point where they, are, they can be self, uh, they can be dependent on, them, on themselves, where they're able to know when am I going to get a seizure? How can I manage it? Can I be able to tell when the auras are coming so that I'm in a better position to 
um, maybe prevent any harm that's coming if it's friends, also educating them, you know? So it comes in with a, a myriad of, of events and challenges that you have to go through. And what happens for these people is that sometimes is that aspect of anxiety that can develop in the parents. You're always worried, you're always anxious about this child. And if this is not the only child you have, then the other children can also get affected because they may feel that you're paying too much attention to this one child and they're also your kids. So they also need that other level of attention. So being able to strike that balance can also come in as a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, because of that aspect of pouring your all into this individual's life, into this person's day-to-day uh, -day experiences, um, you may feel some people do uh, develop aspects of depression um, mm -hmm. and caregiver fatigue can also come out or caregiver burnout coming in. So these are all things that we now need to be very cautious of, even as caregivers, and we always uh, inform the caregivers, are you taking care of your mental health, even as you're being there and being present for these people, being there and being present for your child, for your sister, for your brother, for your parent? Just cut a few. Um, Sylvia, mm -hmm. as a caregiver, specifically as a caregiver, what impact does a caregiving for a child with special needs, what impact does it have on your mental health? Uh, maybe I can ask the question again. No, I lost you for a few seconds. Yes, kindly, please. <laughs> I lost you. Um, uh, yeah, caregiving. Yeah. It's okay. I'm, uh, I'm asking as a caregiver, mm -hmm and specifically for a child with special needs, what impact does the caregiving journey entirely, what impact does it have on your mental health? The first thing, uh, in all honesty, the minute you get to hear about either the, the, the diagnosis of special needs and epilepsy is depression. Depression, mm -hmm. however you want to look at it, but there is that sense of denial that you want to mourn and, and question and ask yourself, why me? Why my child? Why, why did it have to be? For what did I do wrong? That is a typical human reaction. The minute you learn of some of these disabilities and challenges in, when you're in your child. And uh, uh, going through that process is one of the hardest because no one prepares you for it. And most of the times you don't even identify yourself when you're actually going through it. Uh, mm -hmm. Where if I was to personally relate the time I went through it, I was lucky enough, I had gone through depression before over something different, so I could identify something is wrong. I'm going down the valley again, and I need to pull myself out of it. And it takes time to accept. For my middle child, it was there was no options because there was too many things going on at the same time. He was a newborn. The comorbids were too many on top of, of, of the convulsions. But then for my second child, um, when he started getting involuntary convulsions, I was in total denial. And you'd think it would be easier because the first one already has it, because it took me around three, three years. Because I even put him on medication, the minute he stabilized, I pulled it out because I really wanted a normal child so badly. Not, not that, like, I just wanted him to be okay. I wanted him to be without any faults, for lack of a better word. Because sometimes you look at your children and you're like, this is such a beautiful child, why do they have to have to go through this? And you feel like if you could take away that burden 
and carry it for them. But then we all know that's impossible. And uh, I always like saying that the thing with special needs children, it's not like the way you can go buy something at the supermarket and mm -hmm. say, I don't like it and put it back. God yeah. gives you that child and you have to embrace them and walk mm -hmm. the journey no matter what. So the challenge of accepting and then actually now moving to the next step of, okay, we are here. So what do we do about it? Do I do something? Do I now take him to hospital? Uh, can I take, put them on medication? And then there is a challenge we have in terms of no one tells you what this is all about. You're just mm -hmm. given a diagnosis and you're told that we need to see you after this long and this long. And even the way like uh, this is now going out to the medical fraternity, there is lack of empathy. And you find there is enough judgment already from the family. The last thing you need is from the person who's supposed to be understanding what is going on, also blame shifting and trying to get through that journey of self-questioning of um, where in your family is this coming from? As much as it is um, a point in how we're trying to find the source and the cause of, of some of these challenges, they need to be a bit considerate because it affects you as a, as a parent. Because now you start questioning yourself and we even have parents who are afraid of giving birth again because you feel like, okay, I'm carrying this, let me use that word, curse or this burden and it will recur again. So you live in fear constant. Then there is the managing of it. It's not easy. Like I said, you can't quite sleep because every time I hear a certain noise, I'm afraid, oh God, don't tell me we're going to go through it. Or if I see today my son is very clingy, he wants to sleep in my bed, I'm like, okay, we are on standby that we might be having a seizure in the morning because constantly for us, it comes early in the morning. So from that 3 a.m., 4 a.m., you can't quite find sleep. And it's not something that you can delegate even if you have like a nanny. It is your child. You're the one who understands. You're the one who has to be there unconditionally for them through it all. And then there is the challenge of being the advocate. So you can find all this responsibility weigh you down and subconsciously you get so drained. But I believe God's grace is sufficient because we find, we find find out one way or another we manage to get to it like you get you said we have superpowers and i think god's grace is yeah. one of yes <laughs> yes thank you so much sylvia um I, I like to think that uh, the way a parent will deal with um maybe the diagnosis or an injury or the trauma of their children the way they're going to cope with it directly affects the support they will offer their child oh, and oh. Uh, Sorry. The way a parent would deal with. Sorry, I lost you. The, I'm saying the way a parent copes with the diagnosis or the injury or the trauma of their child directly affects how they're going to support the the baby or the child. And I think you're you're doing a really good job being a parent of uh, three kids with special needs. You're doing a good job. Yeah. So Sharon, we were just talking about uh, the impact of mental health on uh, individuals or um, caregivers for people living with epilepsy. Um, maybe it's just uh, it would be important to hear it from your own mouth as a person with a lived experience. Maybe you could take us through what uh, mental health um, challenges you've gone through as an epileptic. Yeah. A person living with epilepsy. A person living with yeah we, we prefer we prefer it to uh, phrase that way 
Um, but first of all, Sylvia, um, wow, kudos, by the way, um, for that journey and for that strength. His grace is sufficient. Um, so for me, actually, I guess similar to, to Sylvia, I had a case of depression prior to, to that, even prior to my diagnosis. So I, you know, one of the side effects of the medication that I'm on is that you, you're prone, you get a proneness to, to depression. So um, from about mid 2016, uh, by then I hadn't had my diagnosis. I got my diagnosis in 2018. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, around that time when the seizures came back, then I immediately went back onto anti-seizure medication. But then I could sense myself, um, you know, going down, going down the rabbit hole as it were. So um, at least for me, that's, that's my experience. One of it is um, you are prone based on the medication that you have. And then um, obviously, first I would imagine, uh, you know, probably a lot more for, for caregivers that um, there's that mental strain, if you like. For people living mm -hmm. with epilepsy, there would be as well, because you do feel, um, you, you feel challenged, you know, there's, there's, you're restrained or it's difficult for you to do certain things. And I think if you stay there uh, mentally, then yes, you're, you're definitely prone to depression, prone to anxiety, um, prone to sleep disorders and, and all these other things within the mental health bucket. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so that's that's a that's a high a high likelihood, I would say. And actually, just sorry, just before I dropped off, I was explaining my my personal journey with it, and I think a couple of things that happened to me that I would really not like to see for for other people like me. I I um, my diagnosis came as an adult, you know, barely two and a half years ago, and it was as a result of head trauma. Um, and so for a long time, I didn't even know what, you know, what was wrong with me. So, um, and then previously, when I had my first seizure, I was misdiagnosed with a heart condition. Mm -hmm. So I just feel like there's, you know, there's a lot of things like our, our medics and even down to just clinical officer level um, mm -hmm. need to be better equipped to be able to, to diagnose some, um, let me call them basic or, or simple uh, conditions, you know, to be able to just have a better idea of this is what it could be. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, what's the other thing I would say? Yes, so people, yes, react differently um, to the diagnosis of epilepsy. There are mm -hmm. those who, you you know, you have your children born, born with the condition, which is, um, you know, I'm sure very difficult for, for the parent. Um, there are those, again, you know, who you get it as an adult so there's you know all that dealing in that mm -hmm. sense um but i think the big one and i think sylvia alluded to it is just the stigma um you know and it it just comes out from a lot of ignorance um mm -hmm. for myself i suppose you know based on what i knew and how i lived um i know i wouldn't directly stigmatize someone but i would i didn't really understand i didn't really know what it was about but now on the other side then I'm really passionate about creating awareness because I feel like too few people um, know about epilepsy. Many people yeah. are scared. Many people, you know, think you're bewitched. It's just, it's a very, mm -hmm. very misunderstood condition. And so I'm, I'm passionate about spreading the word and helping, you know, people to better articulate their stories. 
so that we just have many more people who know because then i feel like that's half the battle that is won because at least mm. if you if you if you understand if you have an idea then you can be more empathetic to someone or to people living with a condition okay thank you which uh, brings me to my next question in regards to to the stigma and the proper equipment or infrastructure for diagnosis uh, for matters related to epilepsy so grace do you, what do you think is the role of the society and the government um, in ensuring the welfare for people living with epilepsy and even the caregivers extensively okay thank you for that question tiffany um hearing it and also just knowing is that one of the things that we do not have as a society is um, the aspect of creation of creating awareness about this being real this being something that affects so many people and not just here but all around you know mm. um so the role of us as a society in our own small way um, and I'm really glad that uh, we're doing this with this team of really uh, beautiful people who are out there um, spreading awareness in their own small way, talking about their experiences, you know, because that's actually what we can do within our society, how we reduce these aspects of stigma. Because indeed, um, by nature of our society, by nature of us being Africans, these are things that we have not, uh, we have really grown up seeing, and when it happens to us, it happens, it comes in as a shock. So mm. this stigmatizing comes with us talking openly about it, um, talking to our friends, uh, talking to our loved ones, and even we as ourselves just accepting the fact that once in a while you meet someone who is different from you, someone who, who is going, who has a condition or an illness that you may not 100% understand, but being open to hearing them out, being open to assisting them when they ask for assistance and when they need assistance also goes a really long way. So as, as, a, as a society, as a public, um, just generally being a lot more open, um, practicing uh, what we preach and accommodating, being a lot more accommodative of the people that you meet on a day-to-day -day is really big on our road. Um, in terms of government, uh, I'm not very sure I'm in a position to speak for them, <laughs> but I'd probably like to hear what Sylvia has been doing with uh, as, as, a, as an advocate for epilepsy and other people uh, and other conditions that um, that we see quite often with Andy speaks. I'd like mm -hmm. to hear what she has been doing with government because I'm sure at one point or the other she's engaged with us. Um, with government, it's uh, it's been a, a battle we are having and still having with the Ministry of, of Health. Uh, because for us to find uh, our children need the support for both the Ministry of Labor and Social Protection, Ministry of Education and Ministry of Health to really work together. But as government would be, every ministry wants to do its independence and you find at the end of it, it's our kids being caught right in the middle. Because for them to actually thrive, we need all of them to be, let's in lack of a better word, in bed together. So um, you find that we, we've been fighting for support and uh, for tax exemption or for um, anti-conversions to be made 
uh, more affordable if not free, the same way we have HIV AIDS meds being given, the same way we have uh, some of the things being covered under NHIF and medical plans. And we're really looking forward to see what the currently being drafted UHC is involving with all these petitions that we have put through. Um, I know there is, um, there is a structure and there is guidelines around epilepsy that has been put in place, but sadly we are very, very good at having very awesome written policies that are not being implemented. That's the sad reality. And if we look at our education system, like we all say, the medical fraternity, how much of, 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 of these uh, conditions are being discussed in depth? Because like we've had, there was that misdiagnosis. We've also had very many misdiagnoses. So there is the missing it and the missed. There is the missing and the like misdiagnosed, right? So you find someone being treated for something totally different than what it is, and that's where we suffer from. And like we know, epilepsy and convulsive disorders have a lot of effects in the brain. And we have actually, in our space, we have seen children die. I remember from the project that we have for medicine support, parents, like three months later, a mother with uh, two kids or with two special needs kids, we just get a phone call that the child died. They had the convulsion for the first time, no awareness because she had taken the child to, to live with their parents because you know also disabilities can be expensive, especially for single parents. And that's how we lost the champion. So that awareness, the government should pay more attention to some of these things that we're losing our children and the future generation, and even the current existing and the stigma around it. But then you see those are things that are not being funded per se and not being you know, spoken about. So we find that we are having a lot of losses in line with that. So there is talks that are going on on some of these things, but then, like you said, it is talks. So we're waiting to actually see action being done. And those policies and, and, and standardizations being implemented. So we will continue and we'll continue engaging. And we hope that now the actual uh, departments responsible for it will be able to take it up. Well, I hope someone from the government is watching this. <laughs> um, so I can see Sharon has left again, uh, but that's okay. Um, Maybe as we uh, move to the end of this conversation, is there anything you would like to tell a person living with epilepsy or a caregiver out there? We can start with you, Sylvia. Um, for my fellow caregivers, I know it is a journey. I know it's something we wish we could wish away. I know we always told, let's wait for five years and maybe it will reduce or disappear. And we hold on to that hope, but let's not give up on that and just uh, say, I'm not going to continue with this. Let's prioritize getting the medications because we are torn in between, I need to put food on the table and I need to buy this medicine. And there are those days when you know you can't afford it, but we pray and hope that something will come through. But even as we go through all of that, I'd like to encourage my fellow caregivers that not to give up. Don't give up on your child. Embrace them as they are. Mm -hmm. Don't look at them as for what you would wish or would have wished for them to have been, but for what exactly God gave you. And that way, it will be way easier when you treat them without comparison to others 
that this is my gift and I will embrace it and I will mold this child to be the best of what they can be despite and in spite of what is going on and that is what will be able to give you focus and and the ability to move on and for the support system and the community let us learn to embrace people with their differences because we're never all the same and the other thing is looking at the causes of epilepsy you never know maybe two years down the line you would join that bandwagon without even knowing so be kind yeah. acceptance and embrace the differences that we have in our society Thank you. Wow, such powerful words. Grace. Um, thank you. As we wind up and after hearing some of the experiences that you're hearing here and knowing that being a caregiver is not an easy task, um, dedicating your life to pouring into someone else's cup, growing them, as Sylvia has said, just making this person the best that, can, that there is, can indeed take a toll on you as a caregiver, can indeed take a toll on you as a person living with epilepsy. So if at all you do get to that point where you feel like those symptoms of depression, those symptoms of anxiety are getting mm. overboard or the desire to will to live or even just feeling at the end and disheartened, just know that you can always reach out for support. And this support can come from the people that are around you or even from a professional. And it's okay not to be okay. Sometimes um, you get dealt a card that doesn't necessarily make you happy. And understanding that and acknowledging that and getting to the point of, of acceptance takes its time and takes its toll you. So if you need support, feel free to reach out to a professional and have someone walk that journey with you. We're here for you. And we're proud of you for doing what it is that you're doing in your own small way. Thank you. Um, so for everyone who is watching out there, um, we chose to have this conversation um, in honor of the International Epilepsy Day that was on the 8th of uh, February. And uh, it has been an insightful conversation. I have enjoyed and I have learned from Sylvia, from Grace, from Sharon as well. Um, just um, a message to, to everyone out there. Um, and it's specifically to anyone who lives with any rare condition. Um, it's, it's okay to not be okay. And uh, even as you fight uh, this battle that is not known to many, I just want you to know that you are amazing, you're beautiful, you're talented, and you're stronger than you think. Another thing that you need to remember is that you got this. And for the caregivers, Kina Sylvia, and the caregivers in the entire healthcare system and even in the world, I just want you to know that you are our unsung heroes and uh, that you are our pillars. Keep being our pillars, keep being there for us, and don't stop. For um, the rest of the world, I think it is very important for us to create awareness on uh, matters, uh, rare diseases, and even mental health. It is important for us to let the world know that these things are existing and that these things can be handled well, and that it's okay to not be okay. So help create awareness and stay woke. Thank you. <laughs>